amazing what God is doing in our church, and especially when you look around the world, just the blessings of God, just the churches that uh, are seeing the favor of God, the number of people are giving their hearts to Christ. It's always a blessing to be part of that. Uh, but today, you know, it's a, a subject, pride and prejudices. It's not a subject I'd choose. <laughs> and Sam said, but you will preach it. <laughs> I said, how can you boss me around? I'm your father. <laughs> but he did. <laughs> no. Um, but it's a subject I embrace because I think as preachers, it's so easy to minister in your comfort zone. But sometimes we've got to go out our comfort zone. And really the, the word of God actually teaches us that all scripture is inspired, and we need the whole counsel of God. Uh, sometimes we just want to measure out what we actually hear and receive. And so a subject like this is really important because in one way it does deal with some issues that you and I have got to address in life, but then on the other side we can actually embrace something better. Amen? And I pray today you've come with that openness of heart to let God minister into your being. If you... Uh, it just came to me as I was driving in Deuteronomy. It's not going to go up on the board, but Deuteronomy chapter 8. And it just talks in Deuteronomy chapter 8. It's talking to the nation of Israel. But you and I can receive it and apply it to our life. That remember the God that you called out on in your moment of need. And he answers you. I'm paraphrasing it. But then you think you've found your success yourself. And you forget the God who actually positioned you. And I think so often in life we can be calling out on God, then we get our answer and we forget the God who answered us and we actually move away. And I, I just want to, I don't know why that came into my heart, but never ever forget the God who positioned you. And, you know, I think there are two tests in life. There's the test of pressure. So that's when we're under, you know, we're, we're, we're exhausted, We've tried everything else as a church. We're under pressure. We need a building, amen? So that's a pressure test, test of pressure. But then there's the test of prosperity. That's when God answers us. And it's probably the most dangerous test because it's the test when now we've got, do we still value the one who gave us? And I pray that in your journey with Christ, Never forget the girl or the boy who came into your life because you prayed diligently. Respect, honor, the job that God gave you when you start to prosper, the business that was established and now is prospering. Never, ever, ever back back and say, well, I got this by my own hand. God was really not part of it. Because the moment you remove something from God, your business might seemingly still prosper, but really other things could escape you. Sometimes it can be a marriage, sometimes it can be children, sometimes we need the grace of God in all areas. Favor is not one-dimensional. Favor covers everything. And uh, I, I pray that, I don't know who I'm talking to, perhaps it is prophetic, but I, I pray that we see that God is part of our whole life. Amen? And multi-dimensional. When we talk of pride and prejudice, some great stories in the Bible. I'll just briefly talk about two. One is Jonah, uh, who was called by God to go to Nineveh. And he knew that God was a merciful God, but decided he wouldn't follow through 
on the uh, word because he didn't believe that Nineveh needed God's mercy. So if you actually study the story, he ran as far as he could from what God had called him to because he had a judgment, he had a prejudice against the people. Something was elevated in his heart. And so you know the story goes through and we always talk about the whale, but really in a way it was bringing Jonah to a point where he needed to fulfill what God had called him to. And even when he went and preached, you will see the story that he sat under a tree because they had repented and turned to God, but still there was something in his heart that was, had a prejudice towards the people that he proclaimed the gospel to. And so it's a very powerful story, and so often in life we've got to be careful that we're not walking like that. In a way, God wants us to reach out to broken humanity. We don't pass them by. God's a merciful God. But the story that I, I love is the story of Jesus, who had no prejudice, who stopped at a woman, uh, stopped at a well where there was a woman who had had five marriages and was, was living with someone uh, that she wasn't married to. So she had issues. She had problems. But yet Jesus which was a contradiction because uh, scribes or, or, or people of his ilk would never talk to a woman, especially a woman of, uh, of Samaria, and they wouldn't talk. And so, but he, he broke past the prejudice that would have seemingly been placed on him, and he reached to a woman who had a need. And he didn't worry about her culture, he saw her humanity. And the nature of the Christian gospel is never ever to judge someone on the basis of their culture, but to reach into their humanity to bring the most powerful message that can break down every wall and minister the love of Christ. Amen? And he did that. And she basically goes on and she talks about who are you? And uh, talks about the need to worship in spirit and truth. She goes back to a town and a whole village is converted. The scripture I want to preach from mainly is found in James chapter 4, verses 1 to 2. I love the book of James because James is the half-brother of Jesus. A lot of what he talks about in the book of James has come from the Sermon on the Mount and what he had heard from Jesus himself. And it just says, where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members you lust and do not have? You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war. Yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss, that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is an enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you not think the scripture says, this phrase is very powerful. It says, the spirit who dwells in us, so it's talking to Christians, yearns jealously. He wants you. And it goes on, it says, he gives more grace, therefore he says, God resists the, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. 
Humility cures worldliness. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughters be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Really what it's saying is, come on, come, come before God, you need him. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. And then it goes on, it talks about not judging your brother, not judging those people around you. When you look really at what this scripture teaches, I think it's a powerful scripture. Because most of our judgment, is it, it comes because of external happenings. So a war pops up. And we think, how did that begin? And so it's all external. People come out with rifles, uh, you know, all, all the equipment, planes, everything happens. But really, if you were to analyze it, it's all begun in the heart of a human. Yeah, wow. It's begun because someone lifted themselves up in pride and arrogance, thinking they had a better way. And then with most wars, there's a prejudice because they want to elevate one against the other. And it's very dangerous. But James is identifying, he's saying, no, no, the root of all wars begins within the human heart. It's when someone develops an arrogance, a pride of heart, which actually develops into a prejudice, that then people are marginalized, they're pushed away, they're pushed out. And if you look at Hitler, I'm reading a book at the moment on his story written from a Christian's perspective, but really, when you look at it, even before the war, Second World War began, Hitler in the 1930s was showing hate, had developed this pride, this arrogance that no one could challenge him, developed a, a sense of bitterness, had developed a strategy that we will develop an Aryan race and they will be blue-eyed, blonde people who will basically be the pure, pure people. So therefore, he developed a prejudice and a hate. Are you listening to me? Because history repeats itself. We develop a prejudice and a hate against the Jews. That's why Jews were killed and slaughtered in their millions. Because he developed a prejudice. Because he had, a, he, he had developed a pride and arrogance in one area. A bitterness grew in his heart to marginalize other people to the point where he did not care. But even in his own, his own people, they murdered babies who were maimed, who had any form of, uh, uh, of disease or anything. They were just killed, slaughtered, simply because that's not part of what he saw as Aryan race. We will develop a country without flaw and possibility without the gospel of Jesus. But it was rooted in pride. It became a prejudice that destroyed another culture, another nation. And we need to understand that history repeats itself. It's not, not something because of our intellect and our modernization of society that we are clever enough to overcome it because it all begins into the heart of humanity. War does not begin externally. War begins in the heart of an individual who builds a pride and a prejudice that works against and he rallies people who somehow have got the same flaw in their humanity and they war together. I know I'm preaching, but I, I want you to catch it. 
The word prejudice, pride, going back to the word pride, is a high opinion of one's own dignity, self-importance, merit or superiority, appearing above others. Watch out, it doesn't get in. The moment you elevate yourself, you're putting yourself in a very dangerous position. Sometimes that can come through intellectual pride, it can come through money, it can come through positions and culture. We've got to be so careful that we don't allow that to happen. On the positive side, I think there's a positive pride. I am proud when I see my kids do well. Come on, I am. And you'd have to say, that's not wrong, that's good. I saw a grandson uh, running a race uh, a week or so ago, and he was running with his mate, and he was coming in, and they were together. And I was standing next to James, my son, and you could tell that he was sort of a little on edge, but, you know, here we were, granddad and son, look, looking at this little boy, and he comes, and James yelled out, dive, because they were neck and neck. <laughs> and this little boy dived, and he won the race. And you could tell the pride, amen? Come on, that's my boy, that's my grandson. That's a good pride, isn't it? Come on, that's a good pride. But then there is this other side, which I'm talking about and highlighting, so I don't want you to think that, you know, we naturally are, are proud when we see those around us, even as a church, we succeed in different we get a good pride, but it's not a pride that is developing our importance. It's a pride because we see something else, someone else achieving. Prejudice is an unfavorable opinion or feeling. It's when you develop something. It can happen uh, simply because between poor and rich. It can develop with people who have learning and those who don't. It can help it happen within cultures that prejudice. One of the things I love about equippers worldwide is that we are able to reach crossover boundaries of culture. I want to say it again, we cross over the boundaries of culture. We don't elevate one culture. We cross over the boundaries of culture. Why? Because we believe that, that through Christ, culture is celebrated, but the, the negatives are dismantled. Uh, I enjoyed Gracie's and Kenan's wedding, for those who went. You know, Tongan, I've been to a few Tongan weddings. They celebrate in a way that is different to perhaps Helen and my European way. One's not right and the other wrong. Just they're celebrating within their culture. And most cultures celebrate in different ways. They, they are good things. But within every culture, there's a negative. And what we've got to do is celebrate the good, but actually deal with the negative. I had to sit down as I... I, I um, had my DNA done, I'm 94% British. Very boring, no count. Just 94, probably more than you. <laughs> Definitely more than Peter Prothero. <laughs> 94, but yet I'm a fifth generation New Zealander. Sam sixth. My grandkids are sevens. So if someone says, oh, who, what, what culture come from? I say I'm a New Zealander. Why? I don't sound British. Because really where I have lived and my pre... So, so that culture. But yet within it, there were some negatives. 
So I have to deal with the negatives so that I can embrace what God has. And we're gonna be very careful that we don't let the pride of our culture rob us of what really God wants to do because really God, like Jesus, we need to sometimes cross culture to reach the broken of humanity. But when we elevate our culture, we're not able to see the people around us because we become blind. The world, I just want to give you, when the scripture talks about the world, it's a human society without God. That's what the world is. When scripture talks of the world, it's a human society. We live where people don't want God in society. That's called the world. And we've got to really, in a way, change that. Not by, not by protest, by lifting up the standard of Jesus Christ and the gospel of Christ. The flesh is really that area in our life which grieves the Holy Spirit. And every single one, there's no one in this room that doesn't struggle with your flesh. It's a battle, it's a war. It fights, the greatest war inside is, is the battle between you and what God wants. And that's why we get the scripture going back to James chapter four, where it just talks about the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously for us. He yearns, he wants you. Why? Because his, his desire for your life is far more extreme and better than you could imagine. But yet, somehow the flesh wants to magnify itself to say, no, no, feed me, feed me, feed me. But really, the more you feed it, the less satisfied you are. But the more you yield to the Holy Spirit, the more at peace you become, and the more you experience something of the goodness of God. And sometimes that is where pride can get in because we just say, oh, that's me, that's who I am. No, no, deal with you. Deal with your flesh. Deal with the things in your life. Come on, don't, don't fight. And that's, well, I'm not a perfect uh, specimen, that's for sure. But one, one good thing about age is I can say to people, it works. <laughs> Come on, it works. Come on, no. yield, give yourself to the Holy Spirit. Why? Because his plan for your life far exceeds anything that you could ever dream of in Jesus' name. Our church coming back to many cultures, and I put the statement up, and we developed this as that we celebrate culture, but culture must always serve the mission of Christ and not the mission of Christ serving the culture. I want to say it again. Culture must always serve the mission of Christ and not the mission of Christ serving the culture. So we will never come under a culture because really, in the end, we're counterculture. We're here to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Otherwise, what we do is we get prejudices coming in where some people can feel as though they're better than others or they're fighting a cause which really we've got to be so careful of. Ephesians chapter uh, 2, verses 14 to 18, it just talks about Christ. And this is why the, what, what Jesus did, he broke down the walls of separation. He breaks down the walls of division. He breaks down everything that separates humanity. Jesus broke it down. He took upon the Christ all the enmity, all the bitterness, all the hate, all the prejudice, all the pain, everything that has divided humanity on the cross of Calvary, he took it upon himself. He broke down the walls. That's why we can cross culture as a Christian. Don't be a boring Christian. It stays in its own culture. 
I didn't get enough amens then. Don't be a boring Christian that stays in its own culture, cross culture. Don't just go to the people you feel comfortable with. Cross over. Because as you do, your life becomes more colorful, vibrant. You experience some of the, the blessings of their journey of life. And as you do, you start to take on what Jesus wants. I, I, um, I believe that God's really calling us as equippers, as a family. Come on, let, let, let's be, celebrate culture, celebrate one another. You know, when, whenever I'm traveling and I see a rugby game and they do the haka, I think, yeah, I'm pretty proud. I can't do it, never asked me to do it. <laughs> Some people have tried, but this doesn't work. You know, that's me, and I, I, I must admit, you know, when the Maori people of our nation sing a song, somehow they've just got a harmony and a sound that somehow makes this old boy just a bit tearful, so I celebrate. That's me, that's part of who I am. But I won't get involved in anything that would separate me from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? The walls are broken down. And that's why I think this church is quite colorful. <laughs> I, by nature, you know, my, my weakness and my, uh, God's creative power in me is that I'm actually colored blind. So I mess colors up. Sometimes Helen said, that color doesn't go with that, and I can't really see. <laughs> but I've chosen to be colorblind. I've made a choice. I'm never, ever gonna let cultural prejudice stop me reaching humanity. I've made a choice. I pray I go to the grave knowing that choice. Amen? Why? Because I'm never gonna let something stop me reaching the humanity. That's why we can have a church in Ghana. That's why we can have churches in South America. That's why we can reach Germans. That's why we can reach Swiss. That's why we can go into Britain. That's why we can go into the nations of the world because we carry no bias, no prejudice. Celebrating their culture, but not building a wall that will divide. And I love it how the Bible is really a, a great book. Some people look at it and just a quick thing. This book's amazing. You know, people lift up. And we're going to be careful, and I'm just giving you an observation. You know, if you study the life of um, Muhammad, you know, 600 AD, came on the seven, scene 700 AD. But if you were to study his life, there's no prophetic revelation about him before he was born. He just had a dream, and he felt it was of God. And so I'm not boring you with history, but Jesus Christ was in the beginning. Genesis chapter three prophesies his death. You go right through every chapter, every book of the Bible, there is a prophetic direction about the Lord Jesus Christ is coming, his second coming. This book has proclaimed it, has proven to be accurate. It's not only proven to be accurate historically, scientifically, Joshua commanded the earth to stop. It's been proven in history, scientifically. There is a point where the sun stopped. It's been proven. So scientifically, archaeologists are proving the Bible. 
through their digging and finding out things as they go prophetically, as I said. This book is a prophetic statement. It would, these books of the Bible would not be in here if there wasn't a prophetic accuracy about them. They're here not because of something that might happen. Many things have already happened. So it's prophetically accurate. It's truthful. Come on, it's truthful. Why do I say it's truthful? Another old-fashioned word, it's, it's orthodox. Say orthodox. It just simply means it's accepted as a creed of life. Where does, where does the whole thing of marriage originate from? You should come together and you should be one. Genesis. Where does truth, integrity, thou shall not steal, murder, all those things, where they come from? The essence is, is the truth. The truth has been proclaimed through the accuracy of the scripture. So it's not just a book of history. It's not just a book scientifically proven. It's not just a book prophetically. But when you live and let the truth of this word govern your humanity, it's able to give you direction. It's able to break down the, the things that we set up through pride and arrogance, the things in our life that we elevate. It's able to pull them down and deal with them. And it's apostolically inspired. That means the, the men who walked with Christ have written and scripted and agreed to the New Testament. That's why it's a powerful book. It's a powerful book. This is a powerful, it's an inspired book. It's an inspired book. Come on, I'm prophesying into you. It's an inspired book of life. That's why we can encourage people to read it. It's not just a whole lot of things that have been slapped together. They're being brought together. Why? Because historically they're proven. Scientifically they're proven. Prophetically. Every book has a fulfilled message. Truth. When you live by the truth of this word, things change in your life. It deals with your flesh. And apostolically inspired the people that Jesus left with a message. Just going through, I just wanted you to understand so why we talk about pride, why we talk about prejudices. Prejudice, pride promotes prejudice. Prejudices, if you go through, is self-centered passion. It's when our passion is, is gauged from the self. Self-centered passion, be careful. Another part of pride and prejudices is hatred towards people. We build up a hatred towards other parts of society. Be careful, it doesn't get in, into your spirit. Often people who are offended, offended develop a hatred. And they wonder why they've got such a hatred towards people. It's because they've allowed a pride and a prejudice to get into, inside them to the point where they build a hatred towards one another. Never let that. The moment you have a hatred towards your brother, your sister, another culture, you're in trouble. Why? Because it will ultimately destroy you. It's a powerful. We need to what? Uh, the next one is blind spots. Watch out, we don't have blind spots. I love my, new, I got a new car at the beginning of the year, my last car had it, but this one's better. It tells you when there's a blind spot. A light flashes. Another car's there. I like it. Why? Because I don't have to twist my neck around, <laughs> even though I do have just a quick look. But you know, it's so easy to walk through life with blind spots. 
We can see, see the fault in everybody else, but we don't actually see the inadequacy in our own humanity. We don't address it. We've almost got a judgment. We're highly powered. Happen in marriages where we're so judgmental towards the, the other member of our, 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 our relationship that we, we don't see our own issues. Pride, blind spots, self-selective he hearing. I only want to hear, I guarantee there's people in this room, you've turned off to me already. Because <laughs> you've got selective hearing. You've got selective hearing. You're zoned out. You're zoned out. I'll just take what I want out of here. Selective hearing, you, you, you're not listening. Really, in, in a way, you're not bringing your heart to a point where God wants it to be. Unforgiveness. Never underestimate, can I say, never underestimate the power of unforgiveness. Never underestimate it. That's why we're gonna deal with society, deal with issues in marriage. Unforgiveness, the Bible, if the keyboard, I've forgotten who it was. Oh, I think it was Josh, thanks. Um, you know, ne never underestimate unforgiveness. You know, the moment it gets in, it develops bitterness, it develops an offense, it develops a power, it develops things that are wrong. But, but the Bible, in, if you don't believe it, Matthew chapter 18, it says, where there is unforgiveness and not a willingness to forgive, the person who has the unforgiveness will be actually handed over to the tormentor. Now, it's my belief that a lot of psychological problems are rooted in unforgiveness. There's a story told, this guy developed serious cancer. And he was, it's a true story. And uh, he, he was uh, given, he was in palliative care, so he was given a short period to live. He was prayed for and instantly he was healed. So he goes to the doctor, they free him from uh, the cancer and they absolutely overwhelmed at the miracle. He comes home from hospital and uh, the second day he gets a phone call. And so his wife is listening because she's uh, amazed that there's no conversation on his part, he's just listening. And the only thing she heard was, I will not. And within 48 hours, he's dead. It was actually his brother who rung him up. And they'd fallen out, I can't remember the years, but years before. And he developed this bitterness in his heart, resentment, hatred. And the brother had rung him. It's like God opened the door. We'll deal with the issue now. He, gave, he showed him mercy. And the brother said, look, you know, there's been, all these years have passed, and surely we can now deal with what divided us, the bitterness, the hatred. And the comment on the end of the phone was, I will not. And he hung the phone up. And he wouldn't deal with that resentment, and ultimately, it took his life. What we're going to see in life is that unforgiveness, grudges, anger. God wants to deal with those things in our humanity. Why? Because ultimately they can destroy us rather than make us. So that's uh, the side of pride. Amen? Did you like that? <laughs> I told you, you know, part of being a pastor is actually to give the whole counsel of God. <laughs> got it? How many got the pride side? <laughs> 
it'll fight, it'll fight, it will war in you. But the other side, which I want to talk about, is this yielding to the Holy Spirit, coming back to the Scripture in James. Never underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit to, to really direct your life. He wants to speak into your life. He wants to speak into areas of your life that need adjusting. He wants to help you. Remember, as a young Christian, I don't think I've told this story for a while, but I remember I was a young farmer, and young farmers are, are boozy guys. You know, that's, they go out, they just drink, get drunk. I wasn't like that, no, no. <laughs> but anyhow, I, I become a Christian, and I went to this young farmer's event, and we were there, and naturally, there's drink there, and so I thought, oh, it's all right, you know, started drinking. And sad, sad thing, you know, when I preach, I can get loud under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, but when I get a little inebriated, a little drunk, I actually get loud. <laughs> And so I get raucous and I, you know, sort of seem to be heading in that zone. So, and, and I don't know, to this day, I still see this. So here I am, raucous, loud, outside my zone, you know, commit a Christian. And I just somehow lifted my head and I looked and the elder of the church I was going to looked me right in the eye. And I still remember that look. It could have been Jesus. <laughs> it could have been Jesus. I cannot remember since that look. I enjoy a glass of wine where I've gone too far. There's a look. Inspired by the Holy Spirit. And you know God gives you doors of opportunity. The Holy Spirit gives you doors of opportunity just to make a response. Yield to Him. Understand it might be you are in a debate or an argument. No, no, there's always a door. There's a little place to respond. There's a little place to back off. There's a little place to let go a little. The second, second part, which so yield to the Holy Spirit, second part is humble yourself. How many like God's grace? Put your hand up if you like God's grace. Now, everybody will tell you, now I understand what they're saying, but everybody will say God's grace is unconditional. How many have heard that? The grace of God's unconditional. You don't, well, we don't deserve it. God gives us His grace, even though we don't deserve it but do you know it's conditional? The Bible teaches it. We've just read it. It says it in two or three places in the New Testament that God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. So therefore, you, you analyse it. The moment pride enters in, there's a resistance happening. But secondly, grace disappears. And grace is not just what saves you, it's what keeps you. It keeps you from doing wrong. It keeps you empowered. It keeps you in God's space. That's why grace is an powerful part of our walk with Jesus. We need the grace of God. 
We need the grace of God. I could look in my life at the moment, 71, I could celebrate what God's done. And I'm really wrapped, hell, I'm wrapped with what God's done around the world, what God's doing. But what keeps me humble is I see there's more. I could stand and if not careful, wow, look at don't you know what, what God's no 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 what keeps me humble is, and Helen humble is there's more. And the moment you entertain you've arrived, you actually get into, into a position where you no longer need grace. And I love it when I sit over, I did there this morning, over on the right sitting there, and I just love it because I have a little prayer I pray every time before I preach and I've been preaching 42 years or something I still pray this prayer God Jesus I just humble myself I cannot take this opportunity for granted but right now I need you I know I've got the skill to do it but I need you and you know I love the feeling I often just hear the Holy Spirit I'm with you stand up represent me represent me and I feel it it's like wow Good God, I'm, I'm getting up. <laughs> I'm ready. I'm ready to go. So you really, you know, one great preacher said, watch out you don't come up full of pride. Yeah, look at me, look at me. Man, I'm great. Because you'll actually walk down humiliated. <laughs> but when you walk up humble, You'll represent God confidently, boldly, in the name of Jesus. Humility, it's a powerful source. It keeps us. It really, in a way, humility is the basis of prayer. If I was to say 2 Chronicles 7 verse 14, what is it? If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray. Then I will heal their land. Amen. Humility is a a major part of developing the prejudice, the pride in our heart. So thirdly, we receive God's grace. Grace saves and empowers. Humility, just to go back, it might have gone up there. I love this definition of humility. Many, you know, one that I've always loved and I think Sam mentioned it last week is humility is just simply say yes to God. Amen? Just say yes. Don't work it out. Just say yes. But I love this one. It's, I think it's C.S. Lewis. Not sure, but someone told me they think it is. Humility, you listen, this is good. Humility does not think less of oneself, but thinks of oneself less. Humility doesn't think less. So so you and I, we're created in the image of God, so God doesn't want you to act like you're a doormat or a nobody. Grace restores you to be the person God's called you to be. But when grace restores you, you don't actually have to be in every picture. Brian Houston tells the story, he was going through Africa, and there was a herd of elephants, I think called elephants herds, I think I'm right, and a herd of elephants, and he wanted a photo, so he gets out, didn't have a lot of time, got his, got his phone, and just quickly went up, selfie, bang, hopped back in the truck, uh, in the vehicle, 
and he opened it up really to send back to his church. And all was, all, all was in, the, in the shop was Brian's big head with a grey background. <laughs> He'd failed to get the elephant because he was so concentrating and making sure he was in the picture. Can I say humility gets yourself out of the picture? Humility, you, you don't have to have your big block. <laughs> and be careful. I was gonna say young people. I don't think it's just young people's problem. Be careful, you know, with all the stuff through multimedia that it's just not about self-promotion. Humility thinks less, doesn't think less of oneself, but thinks of oneself less. Those sort of people make the greatest politicians. They're the ones who change the world because they it's not about putting their image in the picture. It's about making sure in our world, Jesus is in the picture. Grace, here's another statement. I love this definition. Most famous definition of grace is, as I said, is, is God's unmerited favour. But this is the one that I've lived my life by. God's grace enables me or you to be the person God's created you to be and empowers you to do the things He's called you to do. That's God's grace. Why? Because from the beginning of time, God saw you whole. And what grace does through the redeeming power of God's love is grace makes you the person, are you ready? God saw you as before the world was created. I saw myself as a farm boy who was going to be rich. But God saw me as a preacher and an apostle who would travel the globe preaching His Word. That's how God saw me. What's grace done? Grace has enabled I'm that person. Grace has enabled me and I can receive it through humility. Pride will push me away from that. Amen. But when you let humility mark your life, how powerful it is. Fourthly, resist the devil. And there is a resistance. I love the Lord's Prayer. Just about finished, but our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. An amazing way to begin the day, to acknowledge the Lord of glory. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The ability to bring heaven to earth is such a powerful, powerful force.
He's our provider. He's our provider. He meets our need. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Keeps your heart clean from unforgiveness. God's mercy. But then it uses the word, you ready? I love praying this. I know I prayed it in the last week and I didn't do it because I was preaching, but here it is. Lead me not into temptation, but Lord Jesus, please deliver me from the evil one. For yours is the power and the glory forever and ever. Boy, we, we need to just be clothed with the power of God to resist. Just those forces that so easily and subtly come to take away from us what God's called us or God, God's called us to be. Draw near to God. Draw near to God. Do you love Him? Do you love Him? Do you love him? I detest the religious robes of Christianity and what damage they've done to humanity and because of prejudice and hate, I detest it. No different to any other religion. But when you in humility draw near to God, the Bible just simply says he draws near to you comes and the power of his Holy Spirit and he allows you to become the person he's called you to be draw near to God realise that wars are not just external problems that politicians can fix the only way you can deal with wars is to deal with the root issues Today, in the name of Jesus, I speak into this environment. I speak into every single person in this room. Holy Spirit, I ask you to come and present yourself in power. I ask you to come where there's any sneaky feeling of pride that has just allowed itself to get higher than it should. I ask you to deal with it in the name of Jesus. I pray that every single person in this room would begin to value the strength of humility of heart that gives every one of us the ability to go to another and say, look, I'm sorry I stuffed it up. I remove my judgment. Gives us the ability to go to people who are struggling. Even though they mightn't be our culture, they mightn't be in our earth, they mightn't be in our world, but we can cross over and we can reach into the heart of broken humanity. And we can show that Jesus is the answer. He's the way. Jesus is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. There's no other way. It is not just psychology that sets you free. I know it's valuable, but it's the truth that sets you free. 
It's the truth. It's the truth of God's Word. When we get the truth of His Word into our humanity, God is able to liberate us. I ask you to stand with me. I ask you just for a moment to just lift your hands in the presence of an amazing God. Jesus. Just lift your hands right across. You don't have to, but I invite you to. Why do I lift my hands? Why do I invite you to? I think it's a posture of yieldedness. It's a posture which says, okay, God, I, I am going to humble myself before you today. I need you. You stand there with your hands in your pockets. No, no, change your posture. Just lift your hands. And today I pray for every single one of us in this room that we would firstly look at the battle in our own humanity in Jesus' name. stop pointing the finger at another because we know when we put Jesus into our world he puts up that white peace flag on the outside and says the walls are broken down I'm free to talk and I ask you to do that Jesus Father I pray that you would deal with any prejudice that has been built up Sometimes through life, sometimes through education. And today in the name of Jesus, bring a humility of heart that allows us to go beyond. He's an anointing now. He's the anointing. Just receive in the name of Jesus. Just pray this prayer with me, Lord Jesus. Help me to hear your Holy Spirit. I know He just wants to be so much part of my life. And from this day forward, I want to make room for Him. Let Jesus be glorified.